0: Chapter 13, The Ten Count. As a Christian conservative Republican, I find that the Word of God is the best preservative of our republic when applied. Salt is a preservative and brings out the savory flavor, but it can sting if exposed to the wrong places. Salt also works as an antiseptic. Salt is a lot like truth, and truth is delicious. Truth preserves, it cleans, man, truth feels good, but to some truth is bitter, it stings like it was thrown in their eyes. Many people are like that as they don't want to see the truth. Some even be like, all that sodium is bad for you. Say no to salt. Salt and light are highly welcomed by some and rejected by others. The 10 commandments are such a preservative, apply them according to Jesus Christ. And a society preserves and thrives. But some people are so wounded with bigotry and dysfunctionality that the truth just stings their sores. The following is the truth. And it is so true that it's a law. Those who love truth, savor it. Those who hate truth, react to it like a slug when Saul hits it. Then God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Exodus 1, 1 through 2, NASB. As you look at the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Articles, if you will, you can see clauses with the articles. The first commandment isn't just to have no other gods before God. There's other parts. The clause to not have any other gods before God isn't the main thing. The article of God saying, I am the Lord, your God is if a person rejects the ultimate truth in the article of God, being the Lord, our God, then the clause of having no other gods before God is most likely not going to be obeyed. I am the Lord, your God is the ultimate truth. It is such a pure truth that it is the law. We have the free will to reject that truth and disobey that law. But disobeying the law has consequences. I reckon people should understand the following about free will. The godless believe God doesn't give us free will, if they believe in Him at all, because we get punished for not believing Him. They're absolutely wrong. Free will doesn't mean you are exempt from punishment. From making the wrong free will choice, not having free will would be never knowing what it means to make a choice at all, like a robot, never programmed to never know the difference. That is what not having free will would be. Having free will means that you are free to choose between right, wrong, good, and evil, or what you think is good or evil and whether the reward is worth the risk. Free will is a choice that renders rewards or punishments. Just because a person can be punished doesn't mean they don't have free will. It means they have the free will choice to decide if the risk they are taking is worth the reward. It's all fair because if an unlawful risk taker was a target of another person who took an unlawful risk at the first party's expense, the first lawless risk-taker would want the second party punished too. Not having free will would be us being created to be ignorant to choices. We have the free will to abide by the article of God declaring that He is the Lord, our God. Or not. There is the free will choice between reward and punishment. Become on high heaven fabulous or become an eternal booty barbecue. Many are foolish enough to think there is no judgment that awaits them. They'll find out the hard way that Jesus is the longest and strongest arm of the law that will bring them to justice no matter how far they think they can brush him off. I am the Lord, your God. Without that article, there is ultimately no reason to follow the other commandments. It's like the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You can't have the second and third without the first. How can you have another God before God if you don't even acknowledge the truth about God being the Lord, our God? This is the very first thing that God wants us to get a grip on that He is the Lord, our God. The first article speaks to the one on the first page He breathed to us. In the beginning, God. After this supreme article, the clause that says, You shall have no other gods before me, doesn't even come next. After the supreme article comes the clause, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. This ain't God bragging about what he did or hanging it over our heads. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt is a law. The very first thing God wants you to get straight is that he is the Lord, our God. And with the establishment of that understanding, he mandates that we are to be free. It is against his law to oppress another. We are meant to be free. And God ultimately deals with oppressors very harshly, as he has done to Egypt. The name Egypt itself means oppression or bondage, house of slavery. That's why the article says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery it is against the law of god to be oppressed we were not meant to be enslaved and the full law of god is that we are to be free from things that plague us like disease poverty famine war and ultimately death god will ultimately liberate us from all oppression it is his law That we are to be free and the ultimate freedom is found in him. That brings us to the third clause. You shall have no other gods before God because there is nothing else in the universe that can ultimately liberate us. And the worship of other gods results in oppression and murder from slavery to human sacrifice. These things are not of God. The haters will say, didn't God sacrifice Jesus? They seem to forget that God gave Yeshua the authority to come back. No other ritual of sacrificing brings the sacrifice back to life. Jesus wasn't sacrificed to remain dead. Jesus was sacrificed to prove that even death can't hold him. And that he could liberate us from death, even after his death. A person who can't be killed doesn't prove they can conquer death. There would always be the lingering wonder if there is something that could kill that person. Jesus removed all that. He died. But death couldn't keep him. A person that can't die isn't really proof of immortality. It just means something hasn't been found to kill that person yet. But a person who was killed and then returned from the dead takes the cake. That person proves that they have the power to free all from death. And that person is Jesus. He ultimately liberates us from the ultimate oppressor, death. This is why God lets you know. That as Lord and God, he brings us out of bondage. It is his law that we are to be free, ultimately, from death. So trying to accuse God of sacrificing his son in the same vein as other pagan religions of human sacrifice don't cut it. God wouldn't have sacrificed Jesus If he couldn't bring him back to prove to us that Jesus is the conqueror of death. So God wants us to choose to be in agreement that he is the Lord, our God. That is the ultimate truth and supreme article. The first clause is that we are to be free. Oppression is against the law. The next clause is not to have any other gods before God. Because serving other gods leads to oppression and murder. This is idolatry. We are not to make graven images. It doesn't matter if it's an image based on celestial bodies, or atmospheric phenomenon, earthen objects, subterranean objects, or objects from the deep, or whatever you think is in the sky, on the earth, under the earth, or the water, or some image that you see on toast. Because if you can just choose an idol. Or shape one, then you can choose or shape what it means. That's not really a God. A real God isn't something we can shape. The one true God shapes us. Idolatry renders us trying to satisfy what's important to us, and even if it costs someone else by force. The values of idolatry change, God's values don't change. God lets us know what the sentence looks like if you violate this commandment. He's jealous over us, and he'll visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. God's jealousy is a protective jealousy. The same kind of jealousy you would have over your kids when you see them straying from the values you tried to instill in them for things that are not healthy for them. You would feel jealous. It would hurt you that your kid prefers something that you know would hurt them over what you know is better for them, but you let them live their life despite your jealousy. And when they're hurt by what they wanted, they're going to blame you and expect you to bear the burden of it. If you don't care that God will be jealous that you prefer other things to him, God will bring the punishment upon your descendants. Why? People who have no respect for God tend to not care about the next generation. Remember, they make fanciful speeches about making the world a better place for the children of the tomorrow, yet demand the right to abort them. God knows how we are. People who don't want to obey God tend to be the same people who demand the right to make a child pay the death penalty. For somebody else's action. Don't even try to judge God for making descendants pay for the crimes of the Father. This is God giving people a dose of their own poison. Noah did the same thing. He made Canaan and his descendants pay for the crimes of the Father of Canaan, Ham. The one choosing to not obey God doesn't consider the consequences, but his descendants. More likely will. Why is this crap happening to me? Why is this my fault? The selfish don't care about what happens to their descendants. That's why Democrats don't really care about the debt that the next generation inherits. And that's if they aren't aborted to inherit the debt. But God doesn't punish the descendants of the Father out of cruelty. The reason why God does this is because the initial lawbreaker was short-sighted and didn't care about how his actions would affect others. And even when warned, that person still didn't care to listen to God, not considering the risk that his descendants would pay for his actions. He didn't value who would become his descendants enough to avoid the risk and just obey God. When the descendants are faced with the iniquities of the short-sighted father, the descendants are more likely to think twice about rebelling against God. They're seeing confirmation. They're seeing that God wasn't kidding. Chances are they may want the cycle to break and come to God for mercy. They might see that if the iniquity of their father is being visited on them, then their iniquity will be visited on their children. And if they really aren't selfish and value their children, then they'd better humble themselves before God if they don't want their iniquity visited upon their descendants. Remember, Adam and Eve didn't seem to care about what would happen to us. They didn't seem to care that, hmm, if we die, our descendants might die too. And to this day, among some of us who have all descended from Adam and Eve, consider that, dang, maybe we shouldn't disobey God. Furthermore, the commandment to have no other gods before Jehovah God and to not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth or in the water or under the earth and to not worship them or serve them also means Do not let anyone make you. The commandment isn't just to not do it. It's also do not let anyone make you worship other gods. We are not to allow ourselves to be coerced, compelled, seduced, or whatever into making an idol of something else over God. Has that happened throughout history and happened in a day? Yep. We can see liberals have been trying to force us into their replacement of God for a while. The third clause says to not take the Lord's name in vain. This means do not sin against God or man while invoking God to justify it. For example, God says that slavery is okay. Therefore, we can force people to be our slaves. God did not say it is okay to force people into slavery, that would be taking God's name in vain. Or saying things like, Jesus accepts me for being gay. I'm still a good person. Homosexuality has never been condoned in the Old or New Testament. God as Jehovah and as Yeshua never gave the okay for homosexuality. He maintains his rule against it. Or things like, God gave us weed to smoke. God never told us to partake in pharmacia, Taking medicines to help with physical pain or mental emotional disease to help return to a state of normalcy is not a sin. Taking drugs to remove you from normalcy is. Taking drugs recreationally or for the assumed practice of spirituality is a form of violating the commandment to have no other gods before God. It is a form of witchcraft. It is an exercise in trying to receive a state of being that is a departure from yourself and from God. Trying to use God to justify doing things apart from God and sinning against God and others is taking God's name in vain. And you can't love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and strength. If you're high, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes His name in vain, Exodus 27. In ASB, like I said, claiming to believe in God just to use His name to sin against others really ticks him off. Jesus revisits this clause in verses like Matthew 7:23 BSB. Many will say to me on that day, "Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name and in Your name drive out demons and perform many miracles?" Then I will tell them plainly and i never knew you get away from me you work as a lawlessness so you see this isn't me trying to make some wild interpretation despite me being goofy this is the bible flat out telling you that taking the name of god in vain means people invoking the name of god while sinning as if it's okay because they either think that god would be accepting of it or they have just engaged in idolatry and made up some god that they call jesus Who gives them permission to sin? The Sabbath Clause. This commandment has come to mean closed on Sunday. According to this clause, we're really screwed. Many believe the Sabbath Clause is just for the Jews. How do we come to the conclusion that this clause is just for the Jews? According to that so-called logic, the commandment to not murder is only for the Jews too. And the rest of us can go murder anytime we want, even on the Sabbath, because that doesn't apply to us either. But here are the clausal components of this section remembering it, keeping it holy, doing no work, and working six days. Like I said, we're screwed. Remember the Sabbath? We can't even agree to which day it's supposed to be on. And how are we supposed to remember a Sabbath day? And keep it holy on days named after pagan gods. The Pharisees tried to indict Jesus for performing works on the Sabbath. They charged a man for working on the Sabbath just for carrying his mat. This tells me that even the scholars didn't understand what the Sabbath meant. I back up this claim by the fact that the Pharisees themselves were doing work. By following Jesus around, trying to give him a citation. That's right. They were double standard Sabbath breaking snitches. If a man carrying a mat is considered work, then surely the hypocritical Judean authorities were in violation of the Sabbath. If they're following people around and policing them, if they were really consistent, they should have all picked up stones and busted each other's head open on the spot. But I reckon that would be working on the Sabbath, too. Hmm. Also, there's a very important clauseal element to this section that people overlook. The commandment isn't just about resting. The clause also tells us that we're to work six days. Working is a commandment, too. And we're supposed to work six days a week. We're screwed. We want Friday and Saturday to do us and leave Sunday over for God. After football, of course. Come on, God, five days a week, maybe, but six? Many folks would even prefer four 10-hour days. On top of that, only in a perfect world, with a perfect economy, where everything from farming to manufacturing to retail, etc., worked perfectly, could everybody work six days a week. There would be no sick days, no snow ins, no power outs, etc. B'nai Israel, had no excuse to not keep this command because Adonai was right there as a pillar of fire by night and smoke by day. Under his reign, he could provide everything they needed to work six days a week and be able to straight chill with him on the seventh. Just follow his instructions. And I reckon that is the thing to remember about the Sabbath. That it takes God to have a perfect world. But his presence has been forsaken. We live in a world where it's almost easier to work six days a week than it is to rest on the Sabbath. Your boss may need you to work on Sunday or Saturday. You might not be able to get the job unless you can work weekends. What if Sunday is the only day you have off and you need to catch up on stuff? What if you have to move? The Sabbath reminds us that we are not in a perfect world, and that in order to have a perfect world, it requires total obedience to God. If we all loved God and loved each other the way that He tells us to, going to work would be a party every day. People would be happy to go to work six days a week. You couldn't stop us. Imagine going to work where everybody pulled their weight. No gossip, no throat cutting, no embezzling, no power tripping supervisors, no trifling employees. We are naturally wired to be purposeful. We want to perform tasks. It's the bull crap involved with being at work that is what's often so draining. Also, working on a job that we don't feel like we're meant to do is draining as well. People hate the idea of serving to make the man rich. That, of course, is a prideful and poor and selfish attitude. You wouldn't want employees having the prejudice about you if you come to own a business. And it can suck working around cynical people like that. I like working around people with a service attitude, that get-her-done spirit. I used to be a grumbler about working for the man, but the Lord fixes that. I've worked on jobs that I don't feel is my calling, but doing a poor job and grumbling Wouldn't get me any closer to what I feel like I've been called to do. Showing gratitude and giving excellent service gets you closer to what you feel like you've been called to do. And when you are doing what you feel like you were called to do, it makes working six days a week that much easier. Imagine all being obedient to the Lord and operating in love. Work itself would be like a holiday, and then it gets better as you come home to your family whom you've missed all day, and being that they're obedient to the Lord, the party starts all over again. Love and spouse, joyful kids, this world awaits us in God. Jesus told us he went to prepare this place for us. So the Sabbath section isn't really understood, but rather it reminds us that a better world awaits us in Christ. According to how we understand the Sabbath rule, everybody deserves execution due to failure to abide by it. The rules concerning the Sabbath almost seem unfair and even absurd. Be put to death for not resting after working six days if you couldn't even work six days. Let's review the word. Remember, remember the Sabbath, remember that a day is coming when we will be gainfully employed. Jesus will preside over an economic policy that will have a 0% unemployment rate. Remember the day of the Lord. Keep it sacred. Keep it holy. It is the day where we get what we claim to want. Not just rest from work, but rest from war, rest from famine, disease, Poverty, drama, and death. If we really want to be free from these things, then set apart a day to remember the one who will bring us that day and show some dang gratitude to the one who has proven he will make it happen. He is worthy of at least one day a week to give thanks and praise to. He is worthy of eternal gratitude. And as for my wife and I, We want to give him thanks eternally. Remembering the Sabbath reminds us that we cannot make a perfect world. It takes God. We are supposed to have this world. This is the world God meant for us, not the way that it is now. In the reboot, we inherit the land forever and explore the universe for vacation homes. God does not take kindly to the world he meant for us being messed with that's why he says disobedience of not setting apart time to fellowship and learn from him is punishable by death because people who don't regard him are elemental to what brings about mass death we're supposed to live free from all these problems remember so, when people do things that lead to oppressive problems that afflict your neighbors, then you've gotten yourself on God's Schmutz list. Again, even though we cannot maintain the clauses of the Sabbath, it is the state we are meant to be in. But since we fail at it, the Lord takes that opportunity to show His grace. It isn't like God made up some rule. That we cannot follow just so he could punish us or make some convoluted way to show that he is merciful. Remember, we want a world where we're gainfully employed, prosperous, no poverty, no strife, no famines, no wars, etc. We're supposed to live free of all these things. So let's not view God as making some rule we can't follow when it's a rule that guards something that we want. God wants to be able to bless us with these things and burns against those who get in the way of what he wants to bless us with. Remember y'all, misunderstanding of the Sabbath is part of why Jesus was demanded to be executed. That is why it's not a good idea to assume to build a religion based on the sabbath god wants you to remember the sabbath because remember on the seventh day god came to hang out with adam and eve and instead of them resting with him they took to the devil's influence and on that seventh day death gained entrance into the world and this is a key factor and why God says, rest on the seventh day, keep it holy. How do you keep it holy? You keep it holy by resting in God and keep that in remembrance. Because remember, on the seventh day, Adam and Eve didn't rest with God, instead, death gained entrance through them. The next clause is honoring your father and mother. As I said earlier, notice it says father and mother. God knew that there would be those who would try to distort parental roles. That's why God didn't say honor your parents. Because people would definitely take liberties with what that means. Thus claiming a kid could have two daddies or two mommies. People do that anyway. But they don't have an excuse to because God made it clear father and mother. Chances are when you talk to a person with emotional problems who tends to be violent, they didn't have a good relationship with their parents. It's hard to honor your father and mother if they kind of sucked. How can you honor them if they didn't teach you honor? How can you honor them if they didn't set honorable examples? But as I said earlier, it's about living a life that brings your father and mother honor. If you have heard the commandment to honor your father and mother, then that means you can hear the rest of what God says in his word to learn how to be an honorable person. Even though your father and mother may not have taught you, they're supposed to raise you up in the instruction of the Lord. So as to not provoke you to wrath, which one could take as raise your kids upright so they won't be bitter and toxic could also be taken as raise your kids up in a way that doesn't cause God to bring his wrath on them. But as I was saying about God's word and to learn how to be an honorable person, even though your father and mother may have not taught you, there's no excuse. You may just not be able to communicate with them. That's not the issue. People should observe you to have such a decent character that they should assume that you had the best parents ever. That honors your father and mother, even if they don't deserve it. That's an example of God's grace. That's the light of the Lord. Notice it says father first. Why? Because fathers are usually the first. To bail on their kids. God is saying fathers first. Because they need to hear it first. Be a man worthy of honor. Be an honorable husband. Be an honorable father. Set the example for your family. Honor God to be worthy of honor from your wife. And honor your wife. Be the first to set the example of honor for your children to look up to. With your wife. Too many males. Haven't been stepping up as husbands. And demonstrating. Honor. And too many females. Haven't been stepping up. As wives. And demonstrating. Honor. And it's rendering generations of kids. Growing up. Not caring. About being honorable. They think being honorable. Is accusing others of not being honorable. While they idolize dishonorable people it's not that this is new it's just that it keeps happening when we should have learned better long before now but instead another generation comes up pridefully wanting to do better but they're just better at making the same mistakes violation of the said commandment renders a screwed up society that invites oppression and murder while blaming others for it God is very strict when it comes to honoring the father and mother, because a kid who doesn't is most likely going to become a menace to society, like a drunkard, thief, rapist, or a murderer perhaps. If a son or daughter willfully chooses to dishonor their parents, this includes cursing and striking their parents, then they are to be put to death. Why? Because if they're violent with their parents, they most likely won't think twice about doing violence to others. He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Exodus 21.15 NASB Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Because they have cursed their father or mother, their blood will be on their own head. Leviticus 29 NIV For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. Matthew 15.4 NIV For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever curses his father or mother must be put to death. Mark 7 10 BSB Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Exodus 21 17 NIV Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or mother, and all the people shall say Amen. Deuteronomy 27 16 ESV Whoso curseth his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. Whatever. As well as the putting out of his PlayStation and Xbox. <gasps> no! It's not Ugh, Snowflaking, weeping teeth Nasher. They shall say to the elders of his city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all of the men of the city shall stone him to death, so you shall remove the evil from your midst, and all Israel will hear of it in fear. Deuteronomy twenty-one twenty through 21 in ASB. Obviously, this is important to God and it results in capital punishment. Why? Because there's no excuse for it. If a son or daughter old enough to know better behaves this way while God himself is present, giving instructions, and the son or daughter still disregards the instructions and continues with such behavior, then the penalty is death. They don't need therapy or an intervention program. God is right there. He is the cure. But the son or daughter rejected God in his presence. There's no excuse for that. Satan and a third of the angels rejected God in the presence of God. There's no excuse for that. Such pride and obstinacy results in horrors being brought to others. Godless liberals. Try to judge God for saying, have a willfully evil son or daughter put to death. But liberals demand the right to have a preborn that has performed no evil put to death. Which brings us to the clause to not murder. That includes abortion. Liberals say the Bible doesn't say anything about abortion. That's funny. Like liberals would stop being pro abortion even if the Bible did say in explicit terms, do not have an abortion. That's like a person saying they don't believe in the Bible because it doesn't mention dinosaurs. Like a dinosaur is going to make them obey God. The law to not commit murder is quite enough to prohibit abortion. But in case you need another to show that God views the unborn as a human life and that depriving them of that life, doesn't sit well with them then please observe exodus twenty-one twenty-two through 23 in a s b if men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely yet there is no injury he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him and he shall pay as the judges decide but if there is any further injury then you shall appoint as a penalty life for life. If that woman is made to miscarry, the man who struck her is to forfeit his life for the life he cost. Murder is the eventual result of breaking the commandments. Having other gods before God results in murder. The murderer has no respect for man being made in the image of God, making graven images or idols results in murder. Since a murderer has no respect for man being made in the image of God, the murderer has shaped his own images of a God from mullick to money. And for this idol, they'll sacrifice another. Money isn't evil. Loving it is. Idolizing it is. It results in murder. Taking the Lord's name in vain results in murder. Using God to assume justification for destroying another person. The Lord says I can enslave others or wage genocide against a group. Yeah, Hitler said, I'm doing the Lord's work. That would be taking the Lord's name in vain. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think. They are offering a service to God. John sixteen two NIV, or you shall not misuse his name. Do not invoke the name of the Lord to justify sinning, sinning against others and sinning against God. It results in murder. Don't forget the Sabbath. Remember who God is. Keep his commandments. Not doing so results in murder. Work. And earn income. People who don't work tend to feel entitled to other people's stuff, ultimately, feeling desperately entitled enough to their life, thus resulting in murder. If there is no God, then ultimately, there is no reason to not murder or sin against others. According to what is murder wrong besides God? What else is there to have proven to be the thing we're ultimately accountable to? Jesus came back from the dead to prove that he is ultimately the one we're accountable to. He proved that there is life in heaven or an awful awareness in hell. And he can either save a person from hell or save heaven from sucking by preventing the non-believer from being there. Not honoring fathers and mothers results in murder. Chances are, if you have no respect for them, you'll be short on respect for others. Murdering people definitely doesn't honor fathers and mothers. Be the kind of person a decent father and mother should be honored by, even if your parents weren't that great. Living a resentful life of the father and mother can lead to taking that resentment out on others which can lead to murder. Do not commit adultery. I don't think I need to explain how this leads to murder. But I will add that adultery tends to result in pregnancy, which the adulterers tend to resolve with abortion. That's another way adultery leads to murder. Don't commit adultery. Jesus says don't even think about having sex with anybody else but your spouse. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew 5:28 BSB. This doesn't mean single people can't be sexually attracted to another because that is kind of how people end up getting married. You were sexually attracted to your spouse before y'all got married, right? I hope you still are. Sexual attraction is probably why y'all wanted to meet. And then you found yourselves even more attracted to what makes each other tick. Y'all might have even thought about having sex with each other before you got married. Ooh, I'm telling Jesus, y'all, it's anybody married looking upon another lustfully is what's adultery. The reason why I focus on men doing it isn't because it doesn't apply to women, too, because it's us men who constantly have our mind on women and women on our minds. I now, mean, our brain lives in the bottom of a woman's draws and women who are promiscuous usually justify their behavior as being equal to men. If men can behave this way, why can't women behave like men? That's why Jesus focuses on the men concerning adultery, because we set the example. Why does Jesus lay this on us and why is it adulterous to just think about it? Isn't that a little extreme to call that adultery? Besides, what goes on in my mind is my own business. And it's not like it's hurting anybody. Well, y'all, that's a selfish way to think. The reason why Jesus doesn't want married people looking at others lustfully is because what you think about is what you tend to come about. Eventually, your imagination won't satisfy you. You'll try to live it out. It's natural for these thoughts to pop into our heads, but they're not to be entertained. Jesus does not want those thoughts weakening you. But the main reason why this is adultery is simply this. Would you want your spouse fantasizing about someone else? Do you think it would please your spouse that you're fantasizing about someone else? I found myself weakening. letting my mind go where it wanted. And before I knew it, I'm having conversations with women. I shouldn't have been having. It wasn't my wife's fault. She's amazing. It was just me being a greedy male. I'm not going to act like I'm clean as a whistle and be like I'm a stone when it comes to the temptation of women. That would make me either a liar or gay. I got convicted and had to confess to my woman that my attraction for other women is about to have me do something really stupid. She was devastated. It didn't matter that I was just Thinking about it, or even having flirtatious conversations. It wounded her deeply. She didn't deserve that. This is why Jesus says, Don't even think about it. It will hurt your spouse deeply. You wouldn't want them thinking of someone else sexually instead of you. If you love your spouse, don't justify even thinking about another sexually. Yeah, it's difficult, it's part of our biology but we're also wired with a sense of loyalty. And God and the spouse he blesses you with are worth the effort. This is why the devil is also called Beelzebub, Lord of the flies. Because he's like a fly that relentlessly buzzes around your head, he will not leave you alone. And flies always try to get into your eyes and ears. The Beelzebub Wants to lay maggots in what you see and hear. Lustful and lying larvae. You have to swat this fly away all day, every day. The Lord of the flies sometimes brings a swarm. And it feels like all you can think about is sex with another person. You got to keep that can of Christ with you at all times. to Spray, spray, spray to keep the flies away. They're immortal, so they don't die. All you can do is keep using the repellent on them. And not let them consume you. The struggle is real. So no highlight reels folks. Keep your mind on your spouse. It's not easy. Because we're dealing with a procreation instinct. But we have to master it through Christ. The Lord is worthy of obedience. Adultery leads to murder. And even thinking about another person. Can cause a spouse to bust your skull open. And drag that Sancho or Sancho you got in your head out and murder them too. Or in some cases, people murder their spouse to pursue another they lusted after. Indeed, Jesus knows how far adultery in the heart can go and warns us. So for the record, this ain't no the devil made me do it type of cop out crap. We have a responsibility to call for biblical backup. Do not steal. It results in murder. Murder itself is stealing another person's life. Rape is also stealing. So rape is a no-no too. Forced slavery is also stealing. It's the stealing of another person's liberty. Slavery is a no-no. A person who steals and really doesn't want to go to jail might murder a person who would get in the way of them getting away or the thing they want to steal may be more valuable to them than the life of the person they want to steal the item or items from, which would also make that idolatry. Taxing income is also stealing, and states have committed genocide against citizens who would no longer stand for their government crippling them with income taxes. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Folks need to understand that this commandment isn't do not lie. You can lie and help somebody. A lie can save someone's life. Are you hiding any Jews in there? Uh, nope. And voila, you just saved a basement full of Jews from the Nazis. You hiding any slaves in there or know anything about the Underground Railroad? Uh, nope. And Shazam, a lie saved a shack full of slaves from slave traders. Does this dress make my butt look big? Nope. And a la peanut butter sandwiches. A lie helped you to still get to go out for the evening. In peace. And your wife will keep that nice plump booty instead of trying to work it off. As Sir mix says, you can do side bends or sit-ups, but baby, don't you lose that butt. Lying is not the sin. The commandment is to not slander. The aforementioned will be more like lying for your neighbor, as in to help them. The commandment is to not lie against your neighbor, as in to destroy them. Remember, the worst thing you can do to a person without touching them is falsely accuse them. The devil destroyed the human race with an accusation without laying a finger on Adam or Eve. That's proven by the fact that snakes don't have fingers. You know that was funny. Satan, the accuser, the slanderer, falsely accused God of withholding power from them. This caused distrust and ultimately death. Slandering people kills relationships, businesses, and of course, people. A false accusation results in people being murdered. God hates a deceitful tongue. God hates deceit for personal gain at the expense of others. Or they may not even care about gain, but just the satisfaction of destroying someone else they don't like. Do not covet other people's stuff. Remember, what you think about is what you tend to come about. Covetousness results in theft, adultery, rape, and murder. Don't entertain the thought that you're entitled to someone else's stuff. That's how we get higher taxes. That person makes too much money. It's not fair, and I'm entitled to some of it. And up income taxes, mandated wage increases, and of course the cost of living and we're back to square one with covetous people demanding more out of covetousness the state ends up committing genocide against people who are a liability to the state nonconformists if they resist the agenda of the state which covets and requires the fruits of the serf's labor they are to be terminated coveting another person's spouse can lead to murdering them to get them out of the way coveting a woman leads to rape and maybe murder to keep her quiet or lead to her murdering the child she was impregnated with don't be coveting another man's donkey and stuff you can end up getting smoked trying to make off with it if you decide to act on your covetousness if we were to stick to those commandments the world would be a far better place and jesus has prepared that better place for us because he writes the law on our hearts. This means we will abide by the commandments out of love, not out of fear of punishment. We live in a republic where we are free to report of the king who establishes this place for us. I want to do my part to make the best and the most of it. I don't want to end up like a country where proclaiming the gospel gets you killed. And that's the law of the land. This can happen in America. It can become a law to kill Christians. It can be made law to be okay to kill groups of people. It happens. It can be made law to persecute and deprive people of rights. Notice how people are perverting laws and finding loopholes to be protected as they censor Christian conservative content creators in this modern-day book burning? It happens. It can happen in our God-given republic. A blessed land like this can be overrun with chaos. The paradisical Garden of Eden was in the Middle East. It's thick with chaos in the Middle East now. God dwelt with people there. Jesus walked around there. These places were blessed big time and got screwed up. God blessed us with this republic and it's getting screwed up too. If we don't start sticking and moving with the gospel, we're going to get knocked out for the count. The more America gets away from God, the more caustic. It becomes, I don't care how patriotic you are or how conservative you are or how Republican you are or how smart you are. None of that will preserve the republic and will, in fact, speed its rot by not making the Lord the capital of all you do. Treat this republic as an annexation of the kingdom. The whole world is the Lord's. But let this republic resonate with revival and inspire the world to seek the kingdom and know the one true gate. Don't cheapen this republic by just assuming it's a free country for you to be free to satisfy your own interest. We have the opportunity and the freedom to send people the invitation to eternal paradisical freedom. That's making really good use of this republic. Don't let that freedom get taken away from us. Hold the line long enough to point others to the kingdom to come.